mad. They want to control their husbands. They want to rule. They want to be independent of their husbands. But husbands are going to, are said to them that they will rule their wives. But now in a cursed way, they will dominate their wives unlovingly. Now, we didn't talk about it last week. Also, husbands will sometimes fail to lead at all, which is another way that they hurt their wives. There's a curse on the earth. There are new pains and impediments like weeds and thorns. There's a curse on work. There's a curse on the serpent. Now, we'll say more about that in just a second. And then, of course, the biggest curse is that there is death. Man is said that he will return to the ground. And the curse on him extends to the rest of creation. There's lots of death now. There's uh, corruption and decay throughout the whole dominion of man, the whole dominion of creation. And then there's that curse on the serpent, which we didn't talk about it, or we talked about it first because it comes first in the text. It's actually the most triumphant because if you remember the different promises that God makes to the serpent, the different curses, they're actually all related to God's victory in the gospel. You're going to, the, the tool you use, the serpent's now going to have this lowly posture because that's a symbol of your, your defeat. That's a symbol of your humiliation. And I'm going to cause, I'm going to cause enmity between you and the woman. That is, I'm going to save a seed from her and I'm going to have that seed oppose your seed. And from her seed, I'm going to raise the Messiah who's going to just totally crush you. So lots of actually beautiful things expressed in those curses of the serpent um, for us as Adam and Eve. And these curses affected all of creation, especially mankind, and their terrible effects were not only evident in the, the lives of the first couple, but also in their first two children. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Cain and Abel. Such a tragedy and an example of the horrifying effects of the fall. Really, this belongs in the same discussion as the fall. It's part of the corruption and the evidence and the effects of that corruption. But still, just like in Genesis 3, we will see as we examine the story, as we examine the account of Cain and Abel, we will see how God's goodness and the hope of the gospel actually shine through in this account. Here's an outline for today's lesson. First, examine the, the account by reading Genesis 4 and making observations. Examine the account of these two brothers. Then we'll more specifically ask and answer the most important question, why was Abel's sacrifice accepted and not Cain's? And then finally, we'll discuss an important apologetic question. You've probably heard before, but we need to make sure we deal with it properly. Where did Cain get his wife? All right, let's ask God to instruct us now by going to him in prayer. Lord God, it's incredible when we think through what your word says, that these things really happen, and how insightful, how profoundly insightful they are, God, to our own sins. And Lord, indeed, if you had not saved us, we would be so guilty, totally unable to repent. ability now to explain your word well and help those who are here and those who are listening to understand it and apply it. Let's start by turning to and reading the account of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. So turn your Bibles to Genesis 4, 1 to 15. You've heard this story perhaps many times or know about this story, but let's read the passage looking to observe the different details in it. Starting in verse 1, chapter 4. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, 
Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to Cain, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Next it will be recorded in chapter 13, verse 17. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which is Bethel. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after him. All right. Well, let's see if we can dig into this passage with some observational questions. Now, again, some of these might be easy to answer, but we just want to bring these details to our minds so we can interpret them and come to some conclusions. What happened right before the events recorded in this passage? They were expelled from the garden. The last thing that we heard in Genesis 3 is that God drove man out and stationed an angel, a cherubim, with a flaming sword on the entrance of the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. That's the context. Then we have the story of Cain and Abel. Which son was born first? Cain. Well, what were the occupations of the two sons? Cain was a? What was Cain? Farmer, a tiller of the ground. And Abel was a? shepherd, keeper of livestock, keeper of animals. What did Cain bring as an offering to the Lord? It says the fruit of the ground, but he's a farmer, so what's he going to be bringing? A roasted crop. He's going to be he's making the same things that Adam was told to, ma- to make. And what did Abel bring? We don't know exactly which animals he brought. So it says he's keeper of flocks, so maybe sheep or goats. But we are told specifically what uh, something about the animal sacrifice that he brought. They were the firstlings, and they included what part of the meat? Fat portion. So he brought from the firstlings of his flock, the firstborn of certain animals, and they included their fat portion. Now, God accepts Abel's offering, but has no regard for Cain. How does Cain respond to God's rejection? His countenance falls, isn't that interesting? Well, yeah, to make a mad face, but it's a dejected look, one that's too angry or depressed to look at anything except the ground. You don't even want to look at other people, don't want to look up, just too angry or depressed. And it says that he became angry, became very angry. Now, what counsel did God then give to Cain? Indeed, his countenance fallen, it says. That's right. You have an opportunity to be accepted. You reminded him that if you do what's right, then you can be accepted. But you also warned him that sin will seek to control him. And you urged Cain to rule over those sinful desires. How does Cain respond to God's counsel? murders Abel. So he ignored what God said. He ignored God's counsel and murdered Abel. Now God comes to Cain and asks Cain where his brother is. Cain says two things in response. I don't know, which is a a lie, and am I my brother's keeper? Now this is not a real question. What What is Cain actually doing with that question? Well, certainly it's part of his evasion. That's a good observation. 
But that, that phrase is an example of what? Times t. This would be a kind of sarcasm, right? This is a little bit of angry sarcasm. The expected answer is no. Am I my brother's keeper? Obviously I'm not, so why are you asking me? This is Cain's response to God. Now God punishes Cain for Abel's murder, but not by putting Cain to death. Instead, what two curses does God pronounce on Cain? That's right. So one, a curse on his profession. He says, when you try to work the ground, it will not yield its fruit. So you, your career as a farmer is essentially over because the ground is no longer going to yield these two things. And what's the other curse? Probably connected. Right, you're going to be a wanderer. You're not really going to have a, a place to settle down and be with uh, your family. You're going to have to go out from here. You're going to become a wanderer and a, a fugitive. Now, in response, Cain says his punishment is pretty much fair. And besides his farming being cursed and being a wanderer, what specifically does Cain fear? right, that someone's going to kill him. He says, whoever finds me will kill me. Now, why would someone want to kill Cain? That's right, they're going to avenge Abel's death. Now, who specifically would want to avenge Abel's death? Who might want to? Well, we're talking about Cain and Abel, but Abel's dead, so he's not going to avenge his own death. Who would want to avenge Abel's death? Yeah, his family, right? Obviously, Adam and Eve's family, they're the ones who cared about Abel, and they're the ones who know Cain, so they'd be the ones who Cain would fear. What other humans on earth are there besides Adam's family? None. Remember Genesis 3.20, Eve was given her name, Eve, because she was the mother of all living. So Cain had great reason to fear. The only other people on earth were the ones who were part of Abel's family, and they all had reason to avenge Abel's death. They would have all had a strong motive to kill Cain. God puts Cain's fears to rest with two provisions. What are the two provisions? Says, You're worried about people killing you, but it won't happen because of what two things I'm going to say. That's right. He puts a mark, though where exactly, not sure, but he has a mark on him. And the mark indicated something. Not simply that Cain was a murderer. God was giving him a, a kind of protection. God was going to give vengeance, sevenfold vengeance, for whomever killed Cain. God says, here's a mark. When people see this mark, they'll remember that I am protecting you. Or that I'm going to avenge you. With a severe vengeance if someone kills you. This would cause people to fear to kill Cain. Now, you may have noticed, as you're answering through some of these questions, that there's some parallels this account and the account from Saul in chapter 3. How do we see repetition in these two passages? It's easy. That's right. Specifically, when confronted by God about what they did, there's evasion and lying. Oh, I don't know where Abel is. Where are you, Adam? Oh, I, I couldn't come out because I was naked. Not mentioning the fact that he actually had sinned against God's command. What else is repeated, or the same in these two passages? Right, so we do see consequences and judgment for the actions. They're both in the form of curses. We see that. What else is similar? So there is death of a kind in both passages. Adam and Eve were told that they would die when they eat the fruit, and they did experience spiritual death as they rebelled against God. But we actually see physical death in this second passage. That's true. What else? Yeah, Judy. Right, this is an example of repentance, right? Even when God specifically comes after the sinner and pointing them towards repentance. Again, we have the same kind of questioning. Where's Abel? Kind of like when God asked in Genesis 3, where are you, Adam? He gives them opportunity to repent. It's 
to summarize a number of the, the similarities. Both sins involve two people. Both involve murder, just as, as Shay said. Well, yeah, destroying another being, Satan is trying to destroy the human race, Cain and Abel. Before each tragic choice, there's a warning from God. In both cases, Adam and Cain willfully rebel against that warning and against God's command. In both cases, God goes after the sinner by asking them questions, even though God already knows the answers. Neither Cain nor Adam respond in confession or repentance. Instead, they avoid their responsibility and shift blame. Both are cursed by God in punishment. Both receive special provisions from God. From Adam and Eve, it was the covering, right? He gives them coverings from animals. But for Cain, it was the ark and the, the vow of vengeance. Both are allowed to keep living. All right, let's take these observations and consider some interpretive questions about this passage. Why did Cain kill Abel? Cain didn't get something that he wanted, but Abel did. Cain therefore hated Abel for Abel getting what Cain wanted for himself. The passage doesn't explicitly say jealousy, but we can infer it based on the fact that when Cain didn't get what Abel got, he was angry and his face fell. Cain was so filled with hatred toward his brother that Cain wanted to kill him, and he did. Now this is all about jealousy, hatred and jealousy. Now, this lesson on Cain and Abel is, I said, part of the part of the second C, corruption. Because, again, we see the horrifying effects of the fall. What are the effects of the fall that we see in Lucas? What do we know about the fall and what it has done to man based on the story of Cain? So we see, well, we're going to explore this in a little bit more detail. We see that his heart is dark, and it leads to very dark actions. And the depths of that darkness are profound, and we'll come to that in a little second. But we also see, again, man's slavery to sin and his inability to repent, even in the face of warning and kind provision from God. Like with Adam and Eve, so it is with Cain. They won't repent. They won't even confess their sin. So we do see the fall playing out again. But the depths of man's corruption are on an even greater level, or are displayed to a greater level in this act than they were with Adam and Eve. Doubting God's goodness and eating the forbidden fruit may, on the outside, not seem that terrible. I mean, it's forbidden fruit. It's wrong. It may, on the outside, not seem that bad. But here, a man commits murder. He takes another man's life from him. And it's not like he killed a stranger. He killed his own brother. A man not only killed his own brother, but he killed a man who was more righteous than he was. In fact, he killed him because he was more righteous than he was. How evil and twisted do you have to be to do this? How could you kill your own brother, Cain? He's your flesh and blood. How could you kill someone who was so righteous, Cain, who trusted in God, was kind to you, how twisted must your heart be? But this same darkness exists all over the Bible. We see the same kind of actions taking place. Before the flood, just a couple chapters later in Genesis, God laments that the world is filled with what? Violence. That's why, part of why his judgment comes down. People are viciously attacking and killing each other. And with the patriarchs we see, Esau sought to kill his brother, Jacob over the inheritance, over the deception that had gone on between them. Joseph's 11 brothers, out of jealousy, want to put him to death. Their own brothers. And then there are all the righteous believers who are destroyed in violence. Just because they're righteous. The righteous priests at Nob, if you remember them, Saul is seeking after David. David stopped to uh, pick up some food from this one priest, uh, from the group of priests at Nob. Priests didn't know anything about David running away from Saul. Saul shows up, questions them, 
And the priest rebukes Saul for seeking David's life without cause. Response? Saul kills him. Orders then Saul to be slaughtered. Then we have Uriah, righteous soldier, one of David's own mighty men. He won't even go sleep in his house because he doesn't feel like he deserves to when all the other soldiers are fighting in the field. Well, his adulterous lord murders him. And then there's our own master, Jesus Christ, who comes to save men and is then crucified at their request. Especially of a self-righteous group of elite Pharisees. They're jealous of him. So this darkness that we see here in Genesis 4 isn't just in Cain. It's in all men. It's been through all men in the Bible, and it's still so evident today. We see the headlines all the time regarding murder. Men and women even killing their own family members. If we pay attention, we also hear the news of righteous ones being killed as pastors, missionaries, or simple Christian believers arrested, tortured, and put to death. with mankind, that we kill our own family and then we kill those who are more righteous than we are. Why are we so cruel? Why are we so twisted? Psychologists and various scientists seek the answers to those questions. But the answer is right here in Genesis. This is the effect of the fall. This is the horror of sin. This is how man has been corrupted. This is what we are. This is what we're capable of. reject the goodness and worthiness of God, this is where we go. Unless mercifully restrained by God, this is just no So who's going to rescue us from this kind of oblivion? Who's going to save us from this darkness of heart? Christ died for us. Now the great wickedness of Cain deserved utmost punishment. It was absolute depravity. If if Adam and Eve deserved death for their rebellion, then surely Cain deserved much more. Even after the flood, when God judges violence, the ordinance he puts in place is that people who murder are to be put to death. Genesis 9-7, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. The crime is not simply that you killed another person, but that you actually deface the image of God. Because God made man. And that doesn't kill someone. In fact, when Cain expresses worry that someone else might kill him, God provides the means of death. Why would God do this? Why would God do this? definitely part of giving us an opportunity to repent by God showing us how merciful he is. Kindness. This is who our God is. It's just his nature. It's his character to be kind, to be merciful. And he showed that to Cain. He obviously didn't deserve it, and therefore gave Cain an extremely severe punishment. This is radical. This is radical kindness. It's not as if God were simply worried about the human population being too low. I mean, there are definitely going to be other sons and daughters from Adam. So it's not like he said, well, I can't spare you, Cain, even though you're rotten. And neither is it because Cain had a changed heart. Because if we look at Cain's response to God again, we notice that repentance is clearly absent. There is no, oh, God, what have I done? I have killed my good brother who deserved me to emulate him, not kill him. Oh, God, I have struck and killed your very image. I have desecrated you by taking the life of a man you created in your own likeness. Oh, God, I do not deserve your mercy. I have ignored your warnings and believed the lies of sin. I deserve death and unending punishment. And yet, oh, God, if it pleases you, please be merciful to me to wipe out my sin. Do not let me be driven away from your face. You are the only life and the only happiness. Nothing like this. Because Cain is not really concerned over his crime. He's only concerned over his what? His punishment. 
Instead of, oh God, my sin is too much to be endured by your holiness. It is, oh God, this punishment is too much for me to endure. Cain doesn't see the magnitude of his sin. He is filled with regret. Maybe even sorrow, but not repentance. This is not a sorrow that leads to life. This is a sorrow that leads to death. And isn't this also the way it is with all men today? So often man's confessions of wrongdoing that we see in the media or in other places, they contain no confessions at all. They merely contain regret at the outcome of the action. This is a regret and sorrow that does not save. And moreover, it's an affront to our righteous creator. his radical depravity, and then on the other hand, we have God's radical forgiveness. God says to Cain, oh, I must judge you with a curse for the sake of my own holiness. I must pay the rest of this. And I will personally ensure that no man will ever avenge the great crime that you have committed. What you have done, I will not let any other man do to you. When men see this mark I place on you, they will fear my judgment. Indeed, shocking kindness is the theme of this line. It's wonderful. We call it by another name, grace. God's shocking kindness, his grace, his mercy, it points us to his holiness. It points us to his worthiness to be loved and sought after. Why can't you and I repent of our sin? Why can't we seek after the Lord with all our hearts? Because of how great our sin is. We see that grace in Especially the grace and kindness that towards us is displayed in Christ. Romans 2, 3 to 4. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Oh, Cain, you horrible man. You do the same thing. What makes you think that you'll escape the judgment of God? But then verse 4 of Romans 2. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, tolerance, patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. That's where the kindness of God ought to have directed us. That's where it ought to have directed Cain. To ignore the great kindness of God is to ignore the covetousness of God, as so many people do. It's an infamously egregious crime. It is an infinite, infinitely horrible trampling of God's sweet compassion. And it is why his wrath against unrepentant sin is so unmerciful. When you spurn the great love and mercy of God, that's his wrath. That's what it is. God must be faithful to his covenant. So we're seeing a, a number of important, important ideas in this passage. But let's turn our attention to the most important question in this passage, and that is, why was Cain's sacrifice rejected? And why was Abel's acceptance refused? Now, first of all, we should ask, well, how did they know to offer sacrifices in the first place? I mean, weren't sacrifices something instituted by Moses? Why do we see Cain and Abel being sacrificed? Well, we don't get specific details in the Bible about how mankind started offering sacrifices to God. But it's apparently a very early concept. Because we see it elsewhere before Moses. Noah offers sacrifices after the flood. And he even offered them from what are considered clean animals. Nobody knew about that concept before Moses. Job offers sacrifices on behalf of the sins of his family. Jacob offers sacrifices after he leaves Laban in Genesis 31. All of these before Moses. So there were certain concepts about sin, cleanness, sacrifice, that even the first family on earth understood long before Moses and the Israelites ever walked. So God must have specifically communicated this to mankind, perhaps in remembrance of what God did for man in the garden. After the fall, God clothed man out of animal. And in, also in, in anticipation of God's future promise to save man through Jesus Christ. It may have been where these sacrifices originated. But they were there. There was certain knowledge about sacrifices must have come from God. So then what, wrong, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? Why did God reject it? We don't know. 
what the specific requirements God had given to Cain and Abel in those days. However, we can look at the requirements and sacrifices that came afterwards and use that to help us come to an answer as to why Cain sacrificed Abel and rejected him. So this is precisely what we're going to do with the handouts that hopefully you all received. I'm going to pray again. Roy had those in the back, so if you didn't get one, just raise your hand and let them know. It's entitled, An Acceptable Sacrifice. And I see there are a number of questions on this worksheet. What I want you to do right now is, either working by yourself or working with those sitting next to you, read and answer the six questions, and then determine for yourselves why Cain's sacrifice was rejected and why Abel's was accepted. You're going to need to look up several passages in the Bible to, to answer these questions, so I'll give you about seven to ten minutes. And then we'll go over the answers together. Questions about what you're going to do? Okay, go ahead and get started with that. Look up when you're finished. as described in the first five verses of Genesis 4. The difference. Yeah, Craig. Right. Very good. So some things we can tease out from the answer, Craig. Three different things were different. One is, one's a plant and one's an animal. One's crops, one's animal meat. But we don't get a description of what kind of crops Cain offered. We do get a description of what kind of animal meat Abel offered. On the firstlings, and included their fat. Now firstlings, that's just a term for firstborn animals, animals, they would have special significance later on for Israel in commemoration of what event, of what event involving firstlings. Passover, right? The tenth plague. And God would require that firstborn animals, firstborn animals be sacrificed. Also, the Israelites would later offer up the first fruits, part of their first harvest for the Lord as sacrifice. So this is not necessarily related to Passover. Why would one offer sacrifice to God out of the first fruits of, of the crops received? Why would you offer them up to God? Yes. Well, first, certainly the first things have something about them that is very good. Perhaps you might have a set of animals that come after the first ones that are actually better than the first. However, there is something very special about offering the first crops to God because it's an expression of thanks, an expression of trust. I mean, these are the first crops I've received, and I think I'm going to receive more crops. I might not, but I'm going to take the first things that God has already given me and offer them in thanks, offer them in honor to God. There's something very special about these first fruits, and that's why God, that's why God commanded the Israelites to commemorate, to commemorate God with them. And this is in line of Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. So we do know that about first fruits, and then there's the Passover connection with firstlings. When it comes to the fat, God does later require Israel to give up the fat portions to him in sacrifice. And we see that in question two. Now, I tried to look up some information about this. I didn't see it from too many sources, but the, what, what Sue was saying, the fat was certainly was my understanding, considered the best part of the animal. So when you gave God the fat, that was giving it the best. God requires the best. That's what the animal sacrifice is. All right, so 
we do see those differences, and then as Craig mentioned, we see that one is rejected and one is accepted. Question two, how do these offerings in Leviticus 2 and 4, how do they compare with Cain and Abel's offerings? What was being, with what is being offered, how does that compare to the sacrifices of Cain and Abel? Hmm. Yeah, those are some good observations, Gavin. We see in the Leviticus passages these sacrifices involve priests. We also see that they're very specifically described that you have to take flour and you have to offer it with oil or you have to do certain things with the animal meat and every year and then offer it as a sacrifice. But hopefully you notice that you are allowed to sacrifice crops. In fact, that was one of the things that God commanded in Leviticus 2. Well, in the form of flour there, but there were other kinds of grain offerings. So we do see grain offerings in Leviticus 2, animal offerings in Leviticus 4. And they sound similar to what Cain and Abel are offering. And the sin offering involving the animal in Leviticus 4 actually specifically includes fat. Question 3. What information does Hebrews 11.4 give about the two brothers and their offering? Right. Abel is held up as an example of faith for his sacrifice. He offered his sacrifice in faith. This would seem to suggest, what about Cain? Otherwise, he would be included in that, in that section too, right? They both offered it by faith. No, only Abel did. And God testified that he was righteous. How was Cain described in 1 John 3, 10 to 12? I'll come back to your uh, comments on this one in a second. 1 John 3, 10 to 12, how is Cain described? He was of the wicked. He was a child of the devil. And his deeds were evil. That's a really good observation. observations about those two passages, 1 John 3, 10 to 12. Dwayne noted that uh, verse 12 says that Cain's deeds were already evil, and that's why he killed his brother. He didn't become evil once he killed his brother. And the end of verse 12 says they were already evil. And Hebrews 11, 4, that faith is related to the revelation that God had already given about himself and even about sacrifices. And then we see question five here. What do these passages tell us about God's attitude towards sacrifices? have to do with what is the state of the spirit? What is the heart state when a person comes to bring sacrifice? God is more interested in the heart behind the sacrifice than the sacrifice itself. He delights in right sacrifice when offered from a right heart. But a right sacrifice offered from a wrong heart only gets God to disgust and reject him. Right. That's a great observation, Richard. Sounds a lot like actually the story of Cain and Abel. He says, if you have something, or your brother has something against you, go to him first before you offer your sacrifice. Certainly, 
there's a lot of, there are a lot of times in the New Testament instances throughout the Bible where God says, if you don't love your brother, you can't love God. And that has a lot to do with loving neighbor. So in summary, why did God accept Abel and his sacrifice and not Cain and Abel? I want to try and answer this one myself. It was not the fact that Cain's sacrifice was dry and not animal. God showed acceptance of that kind of sacrifice later. Would this We don't know the specific requirements that God had given to Cain and Abel, but we can say this, especially because of the passage in Hebrews in verse 17. Ultimately, God rejected Cain's sacrifice because of Cain's heart. Cain did not believe in the Lord. He did not love the Lord. Abel did. That's why Abel is said to have had faith. Abel believed in the worthiness of God to be believed and obeyed and loved and worshipped. He trusted in the goodness and holiness of God. But Cain lacked that belief. Even if his sacrifice was offered exactly the way that God wanted or God prescribed, it would be rejected because he did not believe the Lord. Perhaps Cain's sacrifice was not correctly presented because of his lack of belief. We do see that Abel was specifically said to have brought the firstlings of fat portions. We don't see firstfruits mentioned at all with Cain's sacrifice. Abel very obviously sought to honor God with his choice of sacrifice. We don't know about that. Perhaps he didn't think highly enough of God to show the same purpose and care in his selection of a crop offering. But even if Cain brought the right kind of offering, his heart was wrong. He did not love the Lord his God. So really, this passage in Genesis 4 is not just about the first appearance of human murder on the earth, but I would also say it's the first appearance of false religion. This is the first appearance of false religion. Because isn't Cain displaying the formula evident in all false religions? Offer the necessary sacrifices, do the right works, say the right prayers, and God will accept you. God will bless you. God will give you money. God will give you a good harvest. God will give you more kids. God will give you a wife. God will give you a long life. God will give you salvation. Just do the right duty. That's not the system. You don't have to love God at all. You don't have to believe him. You don't have to believe that he is worthy of total devotion or worship. Actually, quite the opposite. You see God as one that can be satisfied with the bare minimum. He's not that holy. He's not that great. You can do enough to satisfy such a God and then get him off your back. But this is not what God did. This is not what created. Cain sought to be accepted by God without actually loving God. And he was angry and jealous when God rejected such a hypocritical sacrifice. God corrected him, restored repentance, restored obedience. Cain, you can still be indeed accepted if you do right. Believe in me to be worthy of what I really am worthy of. Your brother understands. He can help you. Do not believe the lies of sin. It wants to control you, just like it controlled your parents in the garden. Don't deceive Cain. You must resist those lies. You must believe what is true. You must believe in how great I really am. Then you will joyfully come to me with right sacrifice, and I will exalt you. I will lift you up, not because you've earned it, but because I love to be generous, because it will enable you to enjoy me more. Cain rejected all false pretenses, and he was mastered by his sin to his own destruction. This is exactly the case in all believers in false religions. All works-based religions. Cain was a worse. And there's no reason to think that Cain ever repented, since the New Testament holds him up as an example of evil. It says, do not be like your father. So why did God include all this for the Israelites? And why did he include it for us today? We're not offering animal sacrifices. Well, God is never idle with these details. I submit that there are a couple of reasons why this passage appears in the Bible. First, and we've discussed each of these things today, is to show us more, show the Israelites, more of the devastating horror of sin and our need for rescue and encouragement. We saw in the fall, but we see it more with Cain and Abel. We need someone to rescue us from our sin. We need the gospel of salvation. It shows both God's holiness and his radical kindness to undeserving rebels. This is the God that you have to deal with. A God who is radically holy, 
but is also that it is finally, it shows us what the gospel is. This passage shows us that God does not delight in religious works or dutiful sacrifices or in any means of coming to God by your own standards. He only delights in those things when they come from hearts that are of, of faith, hearts that believe God, hearts that love God, love what he's communicated about himself and his work. God shows each one of those things. Cain and Abel were to show the Israelites how to approach God. When you love the Lord your God and believe in him, you will naturally seek to offer him pleasing sacrifices. You'll naturally love your brother, just as Abel and all faithful believers are to do. You'll want to do that because you love God. But when you do not love the Lord your God, no matter what you offer to God, you will reject him. Your life also will be filled with hatred, jealousy, and many other habits of sin. Look at verse 16. You will be ruled by your sin follow a false religion when you come to God in a way other than faith. You will rule, be ruled by sin and then it will ruin you. So, as we consider application this morning, please ask yourself, in whose footsteps do you follow? Do you follow Cain? Or do you follow Abel? Do you go through the motions of sacrifice and worship as Cain did? even though you do not actually love God or believe him? Do you make yourself come to church and Sunday school, make yourself read your Bible, offer the necessary prayers, do acts of service, all to get God to leave you alone? Or so that God might give you what you really want, something that is not him? Or do you delight to do all manner of good works because you believe God is worthy to be worshipped and praised? Do you find yourself resentful of others, especially of those who seem more blessed than you, or who seem to be more serious about pursuing the Lord, or perhaps more successful as an evangelist, or more successful in their jobs or ministries? Do you find yourself habitually thinking angry thoughts about your family members, about your co-workers, classmates, or even other people in this church? Dear brothers and sisters, let us repent of this ruinous folly. For this is the unbelieving heart of Cain, and the mind of Abel. Let us instead behold the kindness of God to us in spite of our flagrancy, and believe in the worthiness of Jesus when we love and worship the Lord. Before we close today, we do need to address that apologetic question. Where did Cain get Verse 17 of chapter 4 says that Cain had relations with his wife, his wife and father of the line of descendants. But from where did she come? Can anyone tell me? She was his sister or other close relative, maybe a niece. Genesis 3.20, again, identifies Eve as the mother of all living. The only humans God created were Adam and Eve. Therefore, their sons and daughters are going to need to marry each other for the human race to continue. Certainly, Adam and Eve had more children than Cain, Abel, and Seth. Genesis 5.4 says that Adam had other sons and daughters. So again, Cain have a wife must have taken it from among his own family. But someone will say, didn't God prohibit such close marriages? Didn't he prohibit incest in the Old Testament? How then could God have allowed such relationships in Genesis? God prohibits close marriage relationships in the law of Moses. This prohibition does not exist for mankind for the earth to be fertile and to have human beings. In fact, even among the patriarchs, we see other close marriage relationships. Abraham married his half-sister. Isaac married a close cousin. These prohibitions against such close relationships were not placed during Genesis. So then, why did God change it? Why did God say, nope, you can't do that anymore? We can't say for sure. But we can make a good guess. Knowing the originally perfect state of creation and some discoveries of modern genetics, why might God have allowed close relatives to marry at the beginning, but later pr prohibit them? Say that again. 
change, right? Genetic problems would not have been present at first in in humans whenever they married close relatives. Today, marriages from close relatives can result in serious genetic disorders. Because human DNA has accumulated mutations, small errors in the, in the genetic coding that become very evident when a person has a child with someone with very similar genetic coding. These DNA errors are very unlikely to manifest themselves, however, when they have a child with someone who has more different genetic coding. Closest to the beginning of the human race, this wouldn't have been an issue since these, these mutations have not accumulated. God had no problem permitting close marriages at that time, but out of compassion, God later prohibited those kinds of relationships so that those mutations would not manifest themselves. So there certainly is no need to suggest, as some do today, that God created or allowed to evolve a separate race of men and women, and that's where Cain got his name. No. Eve was the mother of all living. Cain got a wife from his own seed. I saw your hand, Richard, but we're a little bit out of time, so if there are any questions or comments, come see me afterwards. just want to direct you to our memory verse. We have two more weeks with this. We won't read it, but there it is again, Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Next week, we talk about, we talk more about a subject we broached today, and that is the heart of man. Take a more broader look at the rest of the Bible as to what it says about the heart of man. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, great creator God, thank you for this wonderful day and the rest of your what we all are, really came. And then you gave us who you are and what it has been your grace and made us alive. You gave us life. Give us more of yourself. Do that now.